0: Folks, my name is David M. Goldstein. And I'm Brian Brinkman. And you are listening to episode two of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is a podcast in which Brian and myself use the music of fish to introduce the listener to some other bands that if you like fish, we think that you would like very much. And the jam which we are going to focus on in this episode is the version of ACDC Bag for November 21st, 1997 from the famous Hampton Coliseum in Hampton Roads, Hampton Roads Virginia.
1: Awesome. Before we get started, I uh, just have a little bit of business here for you guys. Uh, wanted to give out some support and some plugs to a few podcasts that have given us uh, a ton of love, a ton of support, and a ton of uh, assistance over the last couple of weeks as we've get, gotten started here. Um, so definitely you guys should be checking out the Helping Friendly podcast. Um, that is the ubiquitous fish podcast. All uh, fish information that you need, go through them. Uh, Under the Scales, uh, hosted by one and only Tom Marshall. Uh, great stories on fish fans and people within the fish community. As well as a relatively new podcast, uh, Broke Down Pod, hosted by um, Jonathan Hart of HF Pod, uh, which focuses on the Grateful Dead. So definitely some great podcasts out there I would highly recommend for you guys. Um, And then one more order of business. We want you guys to be able to find us outside of this podcast. So just uh, a few social media uh, ways that you can get in touch with us for feedback for thoughts on our episodes, uh, for requests for future jams for us to cover. Um, You guys can find us on Gmail at beyondthepondpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at underscore pond. Spotify. we're posting playlists after every episode of the songs that we play along with the, the jams, uh, at least those that are available on Spotify, as well as our new album recommendations. You can find us on there at Beyond the Pond Podcast Playlist. You can sense the theme with all of this. Uh, and then finally, two more, <laughs> Facebook. We've got a Facebook page that's up and live, Beyond the Pond Podcast. Uh, we'd love to interact with you guys there. And then we're Got a website up that uh, uh, is going to um, start to work as a bit of a blog for us to do a little bit more writing and expanding on um, our thoughts on the music that we dive into, uh, called beyondthepondfish.wordpress.com. So seek us out in all those places, and uh, we'll be in touch.
0: We are very much hiding in plain sight on the interwebs Um, (laughs) Just wanted to run down some of the themes That you can expect to hear from this episode We cover... uh, We have Trey's fiery blues guitar, um, some of the cow funk that was very common out throughout 97, and most importantly, the musical genre known as shoegaze. um, You're going to be hearing much more about that later in the episode. And In addition, we're going to close out what we consider to be some mind-blowing musical moments that uh, we think you should pay attention to, simply because... um, Portions of this ACDC back are absolutely mind-blowing. It's uh, splitting your head open and letting the the gray matter flow out onto the floor and the speaker as you were. Um, But anyway, I would say, Brian, let's get to the fish.
1: So as David mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're going to be talking about the eleven twenty one nineteen ninety seven uh, ACDC bag from Hampton Coliseum. Uh, a really really fantastic jam, uh, very diverse, very exploratory. Uh, touches on a variety of full bland, full band jamming, plus uh, some very serious moments of Trey hose jamming, if you will. Uh, that really was at its pinnacle in um, nineteen ninety seven, especially. Um, when you talk about the, the the genre of music, shoegaze, that Trey was um, Trey was working through and Trey was channeling throughout this jam, especially in the section that we're going to play in a couple of minutes. Um, for me, one of the reasons why we chose this jam was it's a real prime example of how dark fish could get in 1997. Um, but I know for you, David, uh, a huge reason of it was was the shoegaze
0: element. Yeah, as um, will become evident as we play it, there's a portion of this jam we're going to focus on that just gets incredibly dissonant, it gets incredibly loud, and there are lots of effects pedals involved, and um, like you said, Fish was not always roses and hippies and ganja goo balls, it could get pretty dark, (laughs) At times, I know we're going to explore some darkness um, in some future episodes of this show. But yeah, if you happen to, if you happen to be at Hampton Coliseum um, during parts of this ACDC bag and under the influence of something or other, I'm really not entirely sure how you got home that night, let alone out of the Hampton Coliseum. That's um, how dark some of it gets. Um, in terms of the significance of the show. You um, could say this is certainly night one of a phenomenal two-night Hampton 1997 run. It was a four-song second set, and I don't know about you, Brian, but I kind of prefer night one to night two, although it's sort of splitting hairs, would you say?
1: I'm, I'm right there with you. Night one has uh, always taken the cake for me. It was my, my first uh, fall 97 tape, and as much as I love elements of 1122, I can throw on night one at pretty much any time.
0: Yeah, I mean, as an example of how Fish was at the peak of their powers in fall of 1997, they decided to open the show with the first ever cover of the semi-obscure Rolling Stones disco song, Emotional Rescue. And it almost felt like a dare because then they stretched it out to 18 minutes. Like they're on the tour bus listening to the record and they're like, you know— why the heck don't we play this song to start the show and have Mike sing falsetto and fuck it, we'll make it 18 minutes long. And <laughs> they did that and it was great.
1: It's kind of the, the jamming that comes out of It's kind of the prime example of something I remember reading in – I think it was the Fish book uh, where Trey said um, – what made fall 97 so special was they started listening to themselves on the tour bus. And I I wonder if this was like an example of them listening to a section of like the Denver ghost and equating it to this obscure stone song. Um, The funny thing is how this song has kind of lingered throughout fish's history and just followed them. And I was lucky enough to catch it at the, uh, at the fuck your face show back in 2012. Um, Never expected to see this song whatsoever, but it always seems to kind of pop up at these, um, quirky little shows. There's, a, uh, I think it's Bonner Springs, 98. Uh, there's an Emotional Rescue. I could be mm-hmm. getting that off by a show or two, but I think that's the one. There's that Vegas show, from 930, 2000, that it shows up at. It's just it kind of follows them in weird, weird spaces.
0: Yeah, it's one of those Mike-led covers that seemed like a good idea at the time and <laughs> actually was. Yeah. For examples of ones that weren't, you got Freeman in Paris, their cover of Brian Eno's All Come Running, which you like more than I do, but uh, I, I wasn't really feeling it. But uh, no, it's... um, And to follow that up with a 13-minute split open and melt, it's they're throwing down. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: I would say as well, one of the other big significance of this show and prime reason why we're doing this, this was the first uh, ever ACDC bag jam. And for a song that, similar to Choctaw's Torture that we talked about in our last episode, that um, was such a reliable opener and and you know six seven minute rocker uh, to suddenly jam in the way that it did and leading from here to a really phenomenal short but uh, really funky version on twelve seven that segued into Psycho Killer. Uh, we all know about the twelve thirty MSG version and we all know about the Boise ninety nine version. I was uh, I was really fortunate to catch uh, them jam this one of the few musical highlights that I remember at Coventry was this ACDC bag jam and and for nothing right. else I right. was just happy to see a uh, a, a bag that went deep because this has always been one of my favorite uh, this this Hampton version has always been one of my favorite jams of all time from Fish
0: yeah this is the first one. I mean, there were definitely some that were a little longer, a little faster, but in terms of going full on, like 20 minute plus type two, this was the first one to do that.
1: Yeah. I think there's, yeah, there's a, a version from Deer Creek the year before. I think it's another live fish release that, um, it's like 11 or 12 minutes, but it's very much within the theme of ACDC bag. So mm. this was cool. Um... From a historical standpoint, you know, uh, just to give context of where we're at right now with Fish. So um, as we mentioned, this is uh, at Hampton Coliseum. This was their third show ever, I want to say, at Hampton. They did a November 95, October 96. And then this run, is that correct? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, From here on out, they would do some pretty storied runs. So um, something about... Playing there this this uh, this uh, weekend really just hit it for them. But um, it's amazing to think this was night six of fall '97. So this has been led into by that incredible four song second set in Utah, the Denver Ghost, the Champagne Wolfman's, and Maki Supa Policeman. I mean, all these highlights that uh, could you know dot any modern tour um, have taken place already in the first week of this tour. It's pretty amazing.
0: That Wolfman's soup. that's the filler on the live fish which comprises the Denver show with the Incredible Ghost, I think. Yeah, you're correct. I right think up. yeah, you get that whole Denver show, plus you also right, get the crazy Wolfman's Maca soup. And I've been able to listen to it in Spotify, but because all the plastic went on to my CDs, to my CDs from that show I haven't played in years, and that really pisses <laughs> me off. <laughs> Not smart fish. Anyway, um,
1: it's uh, you know as we were saying earlier, this is a precursor to eleven twenty two ninety seven, which is uh, rightly so an all timer for many fans. Anytime you have uh, Mike's hydrogen, Wee Harry Hood open a show, and I say anytime as if it's happened multiple times, <laughs> but I, yeah, there was a reversal version twelve eleven ninety nine. Very, very rare way to open a show, uh, as well as that uh, phenomenal Haley's Tweezer, Black-Eyed Katie. Um, really, really incredible show the next night. And
0: Yeah, that was back in the day when we thought Haley's was going to be like 20 minutes plus forever. Right. Shed a tear. <laughs>
1: um, we still have uh, the uh, um, uh, Bethel uh, 2011 version. That's a fantastic 12-minute long jam. I'll hold, I'll mm. hold on to that. Um, But I know what you mean. Uh, From a geographical standpoint, they've literally done a cross-country start to a tour, and they're just going to spend three weeks heavily touring the East Coast. It's one of the uh, quirks of this tour that I really like when you look at it on a map, is you get Vegas, Utah, Denver, Champaign as your only Midwest stop, really, and then Hampton. And for the next three weeks, they're playing as hot as they've potentially ever played you know a lot of people will make the argument that this is the strongest tour fish has ever played um i think that can be saved for a different day uh it is a phenomenal tour front to back no no don't get me wrong um but the fact that the majority of the tour much like december 1995 is spent just charting the northeast and the east coast um is part of uh its lore i think you know it's just it covers all their home turf
0: yeah, this is back when they did um, – they had Thanksgiving runs. And I remember going to Thanksgiving with my grandparents and folks and then going to um, the Worcester shows. Actually, in between – I don't know what it was. It was November 26, 97. That was the fantastic Hartford show. Then I think it was Thanksgiving. And then the next day was the two Worcester shows. I did two out of those three. Those All those shows were fantastic. The Hartford show is fantastic. And then, of course, eventually, um, there's classics in Dayton, Ohio. There's the two tour closers in Albany, which are both phenomenal. It's Fish playing at an extremely high level. We I mean, there's can't,
1: we can't uh, not mention twelve two ninety seven set two. My my personal oh, favorite set of the entire tour.
0: Yes, that was the Yamar Mikes with the crazy crazy drums. Also, uh, um, great similar, December, yeah. December 3rd, ninety-seven, arguably a top five, David Bowie. Yem, first set closer, punch you in the eye. Funk jam out of Possum for no apparent reason other than the fact that they just felt like playing a funk jam. That was, uh, yeah, that two-night Philly run.
1: Twelve five has like a 17-minute Julius and a 17-minute, or no, like a 21-minute Slave to the Traffic. Oh, that, was, back, just that like- was the... The Type Julius, yes, the Type Two Julius, the swing, the swing and Julius. Just, All right, just amazing it. what they were doing. Um, and yeah, you, I, we we <laughs> could do just an entire episode on this, but uh, um, uh, save it for another time. Um, unbe- unbelievable tour. Um, one one quick final note just about um, Hampton. Uh, as I said, this is the, this is their third show, eleven twenty one at Hampton. Um. Hampton became the site of many many great fish shows uh eleven twenty one ninety eight twelve eighteen ninety nine the return in three six two thousand and nine as well as uh mo- more recently ten twenty two thousand thirteen with an absolutely phenomenal second set that gave us a preview of wingsuit out of that tweezer had a really great golden age the uh piper into um uh uh, taking care of business, just
0: phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. And then, of course, the incredible Dead Shows from 1989, the famous Formerly the Warlock shows, October 8th, 1989, and October 9, 1989, with the big Dark Star breakout on 10-9. And also there was a Help Slip Franklin's breakout on 10-8. Um, Dead Shows are something a bit more for the Broke Down Pod, but we would be... Remiss not to mention that just because those shows are so goddamn legendary.
1: Absolutely. So, um, clearly this run, it means a lot to us. It means a lot to a lot of fish fans everywhere. What are some of your memories just of this jam? I know that you had touched on a bit earlier at the start of this podcast.
0: Um, okay. Fall 1997, I was a freshman at, at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey, um, Obviously, in 1997, you didn't have the ability to get the show the within five minutes of them finishing it up on Live Fish. But I was had a pipeline. I was able to get the tapes relatively quickly. So I probably had an XL2 of this show maybe about six or seven days after it occurred. And I popped in the second set. And I just remember writing a term paper. And during the part of the ACDC bag jam uh, that we are going to showcase, the shoegaze heavy molten lava part, I remember freezing and turning my head and looking at my speakers saying, what is this? Why is there molten lava flowing out of my speakers at this time? Like I think (laughs) I've only... I'm not even sure if I've ever done that for any... I was just frozen, thinking... What the hell is going on? This is incredible. And also, um, we had this thing in terms of making J cards for the tapes. You made most of them on a computer, and I kind of tried to have the font reflect like the style of the shows. Sometimes I would use Dom Casual, or uh, you know. But for this one, I definitely remember this J card being in. Um, it was Arial, italicized, bold. Because to say, they're not messing around. This is something that you have to listen to. You have to see. So, um, And I thought that font kind of reflected that.
1: I love it. We're, we're separated by a few years. And I um, I, I got into fish in uh, the summer of 2001. And um, I got into them with, with a, sh- a weird show, 11, 17, 1994, that has a phenomenal first set. But um, I remember as I started collecting tapes and the live fish series came out and I was reading the fish book Um, for whatever reason I was really intrigued by this 1997 um, just the the whole funk era Um, and the idea that this band that uh, was so happy-go-lucky and you know such a hippie band if you listen to like 1994 summer 1994 jams um, you know, felt like a relatively happy group could really go dark and deep and get this, um, really, you know, serious funk, uh, ex, uh, exposure going. Um, and I had a friend who passed me along this show. i had always heard of 1122 as being the show to get, so I was a bit disappointed at the same time. Um, <laughs> this being my first Fall '97 show, I was like, all right, I just got to throw it on. Um, and I remember throwing on the second set in particular, and that minimalistic, really rhythmic build in the ghost where you you go from Denver, where it kind of touches all corners of the musical map to this very focused, very tight, very minimalistic jam out of uh ghost uh four nights later um and then similar to you when that bag came on, and I'd always heard a c d c bag as just this you know eight minute long song. Um feeling my head crack open while listening to it just totally showcased a completely different way that fish could play music i had heard long jams before this uh the saratoga down with disease from nineteen ninety five uh a recently released um live fish uh set uh that 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 rings a bell as a tape I got early on, but that kind of jamming never totally. Uh, stru- stuck with me until later, uh, once I got deeper into Fish. Um, so to hear this really melodic and exploratory jamming just blew me away out of the HDC bag, um, and I'll, I'll just I'll never forget that it was a it was a very big turning point for me in terms of listening to Fish.
0: I think at this point we've hyped it up to the point where it's going to be impossible to live up to anyone's expectations, <laughs> but we got to play it. Let's do it. So let's do it. That Wasn't bad at all. I very much enjoyed that. That was, um, that was as good as I recall it being all the times I have listened to it. Now, one of the reasons that we had wanted to specifically showcase this ACDC bag is to talk to the listeners about a subgenre of alternative rock known as shoegaze music. Um, so essentially. Shoegaze was a subgenre of rock that um, it had its origination in the United Kingdom in the late '80s, and it was it's characterized by heavy guitar distortion and a blurring of all the individual components of the song, resulting in a giant wall of distortion and sound. And with the vocals, as opposed to being up front and center, were just another part of the mix, often of the sort of wispy um, and/or like whispery variety. And when people talk about shoegaze music, they usually say things like swirling guitars and creamy, massive noise, and the idea is that you're supposed to be standing in a big field at uh, like a British music festival like Glastonbury or Tea in the Park, and um, I don't think Coachella or La Palooza have anything on gigantic, big, huge British music festivals. And then have the distortion just wash over you like a blanket. And um, to get this overdriven sound requires lots of effects pedals on stage. So when these bands played live, they'd be focused on the banks of pedals at their feet, thus staring at the stage. So the British music press latched on to the term shoegazing because these bands were literally focused on their shoes while they were on stage. And um, some of the more notable bands of the genre include My Bloody Valentine, which we are going to discuss at length. They're sort of seen as the archetype. Other bands would include Ride, Slow Dive, um, I guess Early Verve, not so much Urban Hymns, but certainly uh, their first album, Storm in Heaven. And some American examples of shoegaze might include the band Galaxy 500, and even the Smashing Pumpkins, whose uh, early and best albums were very much indebted to shoegaze, piling up tracks upon tracks of guitars in the studio. And um, that's not really a coincidence, because I know uh, the music engineer Alan Mulder, who helped produce my Bloody Valentine's album, Loveless, also mixed Siamese Dream and many other many other British noise rock acts throughout the 90s and 00s going forward. And I think the best way to kick this off would be to play what many kind of consider to be the prototypical shoegaze song from the prototypical shoegaze band, My Bloody Valentine. Um, So right now we're going to play a few seconds of uh, their song Only Shallow. So a little background on my buddy, Valentine, um, what you heard there, their guitarist is a guy by the name of Kevin Shields, who's been um, known for being quite the perfectionist. He's the one responsible for piling on tracks upon tracks upon tracks of guitar noise and distortion. And he is such a perfectionist and such a curmudgeon that, um, the album that that's from Loveless came out in 1991. My bloody Valentine didn't put out another record until I want to say 2014. And that album was called MBV. It was, um, like the guns N' roses, Chinese democracy of, uh, (laughs) Just of Shuge's albums, they kept saying it was going to come out. Tracks were scrapped, thrown away, and then finally something came out, and it was fantastic. But um, just briefly, I would like to say that certainly uh, Trey Anastasio has an affinity for My Bloody Valentine in particular with this song. It was actually rumored for years that he wanted to play the album Loveless on Halloween, get a bunch of effects pedals get a bunch of amps because he loved it so and that's actually borne itself out twice in fish history on um this has only recently been made aware to me uh by a friend of the pod my good friend pj rudolph on may 21st 1997 trey and mike they played uh, a gig at what was club toast in burlington under the moniker new york where um I think they had some sidemen also who might have been in one of Trey's solo projects. It was a very loose, very garage-rocky gig where he and the band attempted a version of Only Shallow, which isn't particularly good, but it's clear that they liked the song. And Fish even tried to sort of play it tongue-in-cheek in July of 1998, and they were playing a show in Italy I believe this was part of the sound check. It was kind of a karaoke hybrid soundcheck where they picked a lucky person from the audience to come up and try to sing what Trey called the My Bloody Valentine classic Only Shallow. And that didn't go out particularly well. It's more of a curio in fish history. But clearly, um Trey's aware of the genre. He likes the song very much. I know, Brian, that you weren't not quite as, as um, like familiar with shoegaze music as I was, um, how would you compare, I guess, Only Shallow to the song that we're going to play next?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've always... Uh, um, I've, I've done such a deep dive in shoegaze over the last couple of weeks as we've been planning this episode. And um, uh, for me, you know, uh, an album like Loveless uh, probably wouldn't click until you turn your... Uh, car stereo or your record player wherever you're playing it up as loud as it possibly can go and just like you were saying earlier letting the distortion and the effects just wave wash over you like complete waves um, it's an amazing uh, it's amazing how layered all of this music sounds when you're actually listening to it um, in depth and when you're listening to it at a really really high volume Um My Bloody Valentine to me is uh, still somewhat challenging as much as I really enjoy it. You know, the melodies are kind of, um, and we'll talk about this sort of sensation that comes out of Shoegaze here in a a little bit, but um, the idea that like there's this one droning melody that kind of drives through all of the noise and the distortion and um, you have to like find it, uh, but there's also this other music on this large, large spectrum of sound that you want to hear as well. Um, and so for me, My Bloody Valentine is really like the extreme of what this genre can be. Um, whereas a band like Ride and, uh, and a song like Leave Them All Behind um, takes that element of shoegaze and kind of repurposes it in a more accessible way. Uh, And really writes a song around it Where like a song like Only Shallow Kind of can serve as a jam almost And a lot of what My Bloody Valentine does I feel like could be extended by 20 or 30 minutes And you wouldn't necessarily mind nor notice Um Stuff, particularly by Ride, a song like Leave Them All Behind, um, as well as uh, the song uh, Inner Different Place, are really true song songs that um, are really beautiful and are really well-structured, but also implement loads and loads of effects that uh, make them sound a little bit closer to the Smashing Pumpkins, but um, have a little bit more of uh, like a Birds Brit pop uh, uh, element to them in, in different places.
0: All right, so let's get to that song. This is, um, we're going to play Leave Them All Behind by Ride, which is the lead off track from their second album, Going Blank Again, from which I believe was 1991. Them all behind by Ride. And once again, I just wanted to say that the reason that we happen to be showcasing this shoegaze music is that it's really the feeling we get from the most intense part of the Hampton ACDC bag from 1997, where Trey is just using layers upon layers of distortion and effects for three to four minutes. It keeps going and going. It splits your head open and it's simply letting the noise wash over you and it feels extremely good i must say (laughs) um we're going to play uh at least one more song yeah uh, we have one more song which we think kind of captures a sort of i guess more gentler more like whimsical side of shoegaze this is actually from a band that um they could be mistaken for british but uh they're very much from the states. At least, well, I should say, two thirds of them are uh, the front man who's actually born and raised in Australia, but um, they're thought of as as an American band. Brian?
1: Yeah, Galaxy Five Hundred. Um, they're a bunch of Harvard grads. Uh, I believe they all went to Harvard. Is that am I right about that?
0: Yeah, Dean Warham and then Damon and, and Naomi all Harvard.
1: Um, they put out. Hansi. They put out three records uh, in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, uh, This one, Today, which is the record that we're going to play our song off of, uh, as well as On Fire, are just absolute classics. Um, Really work well in the shoegaze uh, via songwriting category. Um, Funny little embarrassing side note, uh, I discovered Galaxy 500 by accident. Uh, I started a music blog uh, about 10 years ago uh, called The Suffering Jukebox, um, tribute to a wonderful Silver Jews song. Um, I uh, was reviewing an album by a band named Cite uh, from San Francisco. Are you familiar with them, Dave? I'm actually not. I think think you would enjoy very (laughs) uh, spiraling guitar solos, uh, great melodies, some... Somewhat like '60s psychedelia, with uh, without uh, being too overpowering and uh, or too overwrought. Anyway, they end their 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 album from 2010, uh, Dream Get Together, with a song called Tugboat that mm. really, really resonated with me. And I uh, spent about the last half of the review writing about how uh, it was a evolutionary step forward in their songwriting and blah blah blah, and this fantastic moment for them and uh posted to uh posted a link to a forum at which someone immediately commented uh Tugboat's not a cité song.
0: Uh Son is a cover.
1: And and yeah, and I and I and I heard that by you know as as musical forums will be, uh about fifteen, twenty other people kept piling on and saying, Don't you know that Tugboat's not a cite song? Don't you know, you know, and Um, finally someone stepped in and said, can we just tell him who the song is by? (laughs) And so I had to seek it out. And once I sought out galaxy 500, I was totally taken by him. I was in a very early, uh, tango obsession and they have a, uh, a very similar feel to the kind of fuzzy pop that you get from YOLO tango. So anyway, um,
0: that presses all my buttons. I'm going to seek that out right away.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, uh, So, anyway, so we're going to play Don't Let Our Youth Go to Waste, uh, which is a really great uh, Galaxy 500 song. Um, Great lyrics, uh, great guitar solo that um, is really, really reminiscent of a lot of the peaks that, um, guitar led peaks that Trey had throughout most of Fall 97. I mean, you think of uh, a bunch of Isabellas that were played. Um, I'm thinking about a uh, couple of tweezers that were thrown out. Uh, you think about that slave from uh, 12597 that we were talking about earlier. This where Trey just completely takes the guitar by the horns and just drives the band up to a complete peak. Um, the Prince Caspian from 1212. 12, they all come to mind. So um, don't let our youth go to waste. This is a really great Galaxy 500 song. We're going to listen to now.
2: Those days, and I could drink off everything you had.
1: once again that was Galaxy 500 don't let our youth go to waste off the record today Um, we've got one more segment of music that we want to go over uh, as we talked about at the top of the show Um, there's a real mind-blowing aspect to um, from a musical standpoint to this ACDC bag jam and we want to feature a couple songs that um, uh, while stylistically might be different uh, similarly blew both David's and my mind uh, when we were young listeners Um, But before we do that, we want to talk a bit about uh, new albums. Uh,
0: Dave, what have you been listening to lately? Let's see. The one I picked out is the new record by um, a doom metal band from Little Rock, Arkansas, called Paul Bearer. Um, I guess generally the genre to which they pledge allegiance is very heavy riffing, slow-moving molasses type music usually with these like rally cookie monster vocals well it kind of sets Paul Bearer apart is that um well the tempos certainly are slow and the riffage is very heavy there's lots of elements of um I guess you could say 70s and 80s prog rock that I like a lot of things that remind me of Rush there's lots of yes, it gets very Pink Floydy, and the singer um, instead of doing more of a growl, he has very clean vocals, that's kind of split the difference between a young Ozzy Osbourne and Jeff Tate who was uh, the singer for the band Queensreich, who's um, kind of a somewhat corny 80s 90s prog rock band that still exists, but they kicked him out because that's what prog rock bands do When they get old, they switch members. But, uh, yeah, I mean, anyone who's looking for, um, I guess, an album that is both, it unfurls slowly, it's heavy, it has a lot of variety. And each time I listen to it, I notice, you know, I kind of notice other things. And it's, I could see them having some mainstream process because despite being extremely heavy, it's pretty accessible. And I would recommend it highly.
1: Right on, they got um a pretty brutal review recently from Pitchfork, didn't they?
0: Um yeah, I suppose they got a six in Pitchfork. The albums, the two albums before it were reviewed much more favorably. Um, I think the guy's out of his mind. I think the record's great. <laughs> People I who I know and trust who listen to metal music as much as I listen to Fish think it's one of like the best albums of the past ten years. So I'm just inclined to say, uh folks not gospel Paul Bearer, heartless get it listen to it i'm uh
1: I'm right on with that I, I completely uh there there's certain records that I will uh download I'll love them and then I'll just kind of go back and see what the review is and uh always be shocked at um where my taste uh didn't align where the uh, gospel was wrong All right <laughs> uh, very cool I'm definitely gonna be checking that out uh We'll need some some intense music over the next couple of weeks. Um, I selected a record uh, uh, by Craig Finn, the lead singer of The Hold Steady, uh, put out a record this year <clears throat> called "We All Want this, We All Want the Same Things." Um, I saw him open up for Japan Droids about a month ago, and you know, like so many um, opening acts, he didn't get the full service of sound from the venue, of lights. He didn't have the crowd at their full attention, but he did everything that he could to reach out to every member of the audience and hit everyone in a really, really powerful way. It was a fantastic show, um, completely blew me away, blew my expectations of the overall night. Um, And his record came out about two weeks ago, I want to say, and it's just unbelievable. It's very Springsteen-esque, um, uh, but with some really wonderful fuzzy guitar lines behind it. It almost reminds me in certain places of that most recent uh, uh, Sufjan Stevens record, uh, just in terms of the plain uh, monotony narration of day-to-day life, thinking about God in Chicago in particular, and, um, similar in some cases to Benji by Sun Kill, Moon, one of my favorite records of the last couple of years but um, in particular the songs The Opener, Jester in June Preludes uh, as well as um, uh, God in Chicago are just some fantastic songs, some of my favorite songs I've heard uh, this year thus far unbelievable stuff
0: I've got it on my phone, it's all queued up I absolutely will have to get to it this week
1: yeah, it's definitely worth it. All right, so like we said at the top, um, one of the big aspects of this jam for us is the fact that not only does Fish play for a really long time, not only is there a very diverse jamming, not only is there a heavy shoegaze element that really ties into a style that the band has, um, especially Trey, has a lot of affinity for, um, but there's a really mind-blowing aspect to this jam, to this jam. Um, as someone in both of our situations early in our um, listening career of fish, uh, this was the kind of jam that really showed you what the band could do. And for me, I know that you know, we had talked about this a bit uh, before recording this podcast, David. Um, there, there's something about this jam that kind of pushed you to continue exploring fish, to continue listening to fish, to continue being open to whatever the band was, was capable of. And so we wanted to showcase a couple of songs that, by like different bands um, and totally different genres uh, that kind of had a similar effect. Um, for me, uh, the song I wanted to focus on was the lead track off of um, Animal Collective's 2009 album, uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion, titled In the Flowers. Um, for me, I remember when this album came out in the winter of 2009, I uh, just graduated from college and I was getting ready to move to Korea and I was at a, I was intentionally trying to learn as much as I could in a short amount of time about newer music. And, um, when I, when I say that, what I mean is I'd kind of reached a point where, um, uh, I was kind of sick of the rotation i was I was in with music, and I also consciously knew there was i was I was really open to more exploratory sounds and more uh, uh, kind of difficult music that um, I'd have to give multiple tries to and I'd have to you know really listen to over and over and over again to really kind of understand and I remember seeing this record come out knowing the band, but never really dipping my toe into what they did. And I remember throwing this, rec- this record on and hearing this song that fuses industrialized noise with these kaleidoscope vocals, these spacious melodies, and it just immediately reconstructed what I thought a pop song could be. Um, f- from there, it really introduced me to a period of life where um, I had extreme musical exploration, and I was really never the same listener after this. Um, one of the things I love about this song, above all else, is it feels like um, household appliances playing pop music. It's just, it sounds like such a natural part of your day to day life, but then it has this melody that kind of drifts in and out of the song that just um, absolutely uh, incredible. So, Um, Should we give this a listen? Absolutely. Cool.
0: by Animal Collective. I will uh, say that I think that Merryweather post Pavilion is the best Animal Collective record. That was sort of uh, the album that really got me to stand up and take notice of them and go back through their other albums. I think it's uh, still probably my favorite. Um, In terms of mind-blowing music, one thing that I had wanted to select was sort of... The entire album, but in particular the second movement off of the 1968 Miles Davis album In a Silent Way, which in its original form consists of two, I want to say, between 18 and 20-minute songs. Um, all throughout high school and college and even elementary school, I had played trombone in various jazz bands. I still have one in my closet, take it off from time to time. And I was sort of, you know, led to believe growing up jazz, it was like Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, um, Oliver Nelson, Blues and the Abstract Truth. You know, basically, I guess you could say tasteful, acoustic, brass instruments, well, like bass and drums. And at that point, my freshman year of college was in 1997. I mean, I had never heard anything from what I learned to become was Miles Davis's electric period. So it's almost a bit of a cliche. Um, A guy I met that year in my dorm, um, my buddy Mark Lasis, who um, I still stay in touch with from time to time, he's a very successful attorney out in Colorado. Hey, Mark, if you haven't been listening. Um, I met this guy because we both like fish and we both traded tapes. Go figure. So one Saturday evening, he had me over in his dorm room, and he was he was just playing records. And he's like, have you heard this? Have you heard this? Have you heard this? Um, it was dark. The loud. There may have been some kind of substances ingested at some point. I don't entirely know. But when he put in this Miles Davis CD, it was – Absolutely unlike anything I had ever heard, anything I could ever consider jazz being. And in particular, the second movement, um, which is the title track, In a Silent Way slash It's About That Time. It has a portion where it's just one continuous drum beat driven by the uh, the famous fusion drummer Tony Williams. And there's a Fender Rhodes bit played by Chick Korea that it kind of sounds like um, the keyboard, the Rhodes, is just like descending on your head. It's a slow descending pattern. And I remember looking up at the ceiling and seeing what looked like painted over asbestos patches or some someone cutting corners with some painting in this old college dorm room and just thinking that they were clouds and that the Fender Rhodes is falling on my head. And I just looked around. It almost looked like there were patterns and strobes in the room. And it blew my mind. It still does to this day. It's easily one of my favorite albums of all time. And if there's anything you garner from this podcast, listeners, it's listen more Miles Davis. Please, (laughs) please get as much as you can. And um, we're going to play a segment from that song right about now. Okay, folks, um, just to recap the songs that we played throughout this episode that sort of reminded us of uh, themes of the Hampton AC-DC bag. The first one was Only Shallow by My Bloody Valentine off of the Loveless album for 1991. Um, the second song was Lead Them All Behind by Ride off the album Going Blank Again. The third song was don't let our youth go to waste by galaxy 500 off of the album entitled today.
1: And then in our mind blowing music segment, we had in the flowers from animal collective off of Meriwether post pavilion and in a silent way from miles Davis off of, uh, the same, uh, name album, uh, all of this stuff, uh, again, you guys can find on our Spotify playlist, Beyond the Pond podcast playlist. Um, in terms of uh, where to find us, once again, uh, and uh, I'll say this uh, uh, one more time, we would love to hear from you guys. Thoughts, feedback, um, jam ideas, anything. Reach out to us. Uh, Give us a line. Uh, give us a feed, give, give us some uh, a review on iTunes. Um, would definitely help us. Uh, it's something that we'd love to hear from all you guys. Um, you can reach us at Gmail at beyondthepondpodcast at gmail on Twitter at underscore beyond the pond, uh, Facebook Beyond the Podcast, and uh, our WordPress site is beyondthepondfish.wordpress.com.
0: And at this point, I think our publishing structure We're looking to have an episode up every other Tuesday Um, That's subject to change We could do more or less, but that's what we're going for right now And once again, we remind you that we're still pretty new at this thing This is a work in progress But we very much hope you enjoy it And we hope you're back in two Tuesdays So we can go beyond the pond